we worship you. We magnify you and lift you up. We lift you up to the highest place in our hearts and our lives, Lord. We put you on the throne of our hearts. We want you to guide our lives by your spirit, through our spirit, Lord. And help us to renew our mind to the things of God, the things that you would have us to focus on. Lord, we desire to be useful, to be a force, to be reckoned with in the earth, Lord, to make an impact in the earth, to make an impact with our prayers, with our preaching, with our lives, with our giving, with everything that you've empowered us with, Lord. We want to make an impact in this earth. And we thank you, Father, for teaching us the things that are necessary to know so that we can be the people you desire for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, and praise God. Amen. So we're going to talk some more about the persecuted church because one of the reasons that God developed this ministry and he calls intercessors and watchmen is so that we can be relevant in our current society, the current age that we live in. Uh, So often, you know, Christians and churches are accused of not being in touch with the times and not being in touch with the people. Um, and, and we don't want to be guilty of that in any way, but being in touch with people is, is different from being effective to help and to heal and to save and to deliver. And as believers and as watchmen, we always want to put the ministry of Jesus Christ in first place. And, and so there are churches that uh, can draw the youth and have a bunch of young people in the congregation, but what impact are they making uh, with people? Are these young people saved, uh, preaching the gospel themselves, taking the gospel to the workplace, to their schools, and to uh, are they being effective in the gospel? And that's that's the whole thing: is that you want to be an effective person in the earth. Part of being effective is understanding what you are called to do. In, in doing that, doing that to your best ability, being consistent with it, being faithful with it, and being thorough with what you're called to do. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that the numbers of uh, governments that turn against Christians, especially, uh, now they will make a, an attempt to regulate other religions too, but they're really after the real one. You know, they're not so much after the Buddhist and the Muslim and all these other people, but they're after the Christian because our God is alive. And so our God can make an impact. Our God can make a difference. Our God can upset their system, their way of living, can upset their livelihood, uh, can really uh, upset a lot of things that they depend on in their lives. And so we understand that uh, we have to be abreast of, of things and uh, how to function and how to be effective uh, in these areas. I thought about that book, The Intercessor, uh, talking about Reese Howells, the, the man that was an intercessor during World War II, and how effective his group of, of prayers were, the people that and they were a part of a Bible school, but they were more than a Bible school. They were a band of warriors and a band of intercessors and a band of watchmen, amen, that would have to break away from their normal routine 
and go into seasons of prayer, sometimes prolonged prayer and sometimes intense prayer. So if you can imagine a Bible school, you know, where you got people signed up for their classes and they want a certificate or they want a degree. And all of a sudden the teacher says, we don't have time to teach. We must pray. And that's what they did. They did that for the duration of the Second World War. Many of their prayers were pivotal as far as uh, um, sensitive changes in the the, um, uh, the flow of the war, who was winning, who was losing. Uh, all of them hinged upon their prayer. Now, suppose that teacher had said, well, you know, I got to graduate the class and, you know, the school comes first and had put that off. You know, we'd all either not be here, be speaking German or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, you know what I'm saying, or Japanese. And so we, we have to understand that when prayer is called for, it must be, that call must be heeded. And we have to understand who the enemy is. We have to understand his tactics. Uh, we have to uh, put up an, an um, assault against him uh, and a defense against him and go on the offense as much as possible uh, to thwart his plans to destroy uh, that which God has created. And so this is why I felt it was imperative that we study the persecuted church because we see persecution uh, increasing everywhere against the gospel and and so we have to strike back and fight back and but we also have to understand how the enemy moves and how he moves through governments because this is where the enemy can do his greatest damage is in creating laws and uh, uh, building more walls against believers and taking freedoms away uh, putting sanctions and penalties uh, on people, uh, you know, at some point our government is going to have to realize that you can't put an unlimited amount of damage on certain things that people do uh, that uh, are worthy of a lawsuit. Uh, you can't take somebody's house away because they don't believe in what somebody's doing and refuse to participate in it. And so after a while, it's not it's not just. Um, uh, you know, re reparation of damages, but it gets to be punitive and it gets to be debasing on the, the behalf of the person who uh, did the wrong. And there's only so much judgment God levies against certain wrongs. For instance, if a person was caught under the Old Testament law, if a person was caught doing certain crimes, he was... Uh, he was it the the judge was told to render a verdict of punishment corporal punishment where the one who carried out the punishment was able to beat that person with a certain number of lashes but they were limited because god said if he allowed them to give as many as they felt were necessary, they would wind up uh, uh, ridiculing, debasing, and devaluing that person. Where God's punishment does not devalue the person, it just levies a penalty that is commensurate with, what the, with, the, with the crime that they did. So uh, the 40 stripes was considered to be the maximum. Got me? 39 was usually what they gave. 
if you gave over 39, you began to debase and devalue, began to treat him like less than human. And that's what never what God wanted. He always wanted people to understand that there was penalty for their wrongdoing, but you always kept your humanity. You kept a certain level of dignity so that you can go on and learn from that and do better in the future. Amen. Even when a thief was found, the Bible says you don't despise a thief if he steals because he's hungry. So we don't we don't uh, ridicule the homeless and the hungry and if somebody steals sometimes people will turn their backs if somebody is stealing something if you look at them and you can see they're doing it because they need desperate to to eat something in our society now people don't even want to steal to eat they'll go through garbage and find something to eat you understand what i'm saying and so that that is a common thread throughout god's law that you don't try and render a person totally hopeless as a result of a crime that they've done you give a certain level of punishment that can take let that person know that what they've done is serious but you still leave them with personhood so that they can hope to learn in the future and do something better and so this business of kind of throwing the book at people because we consider them to be hateful you know if if they don't like something that we like or they don't agree with us on something that we think is important, then we can ridicule them and name call them and actually strip them of their livelihood, all of their possessions, and still have a a payment due, and you've taken everything from a person. And so that's never God's way. And so this business with with people being uh, uh, accused of hate crimes and hating certain groups of people because you don't agree with what they want to do, uh, that needs to be stopped. And the only people that can stop it is us. And so, amen. And so we need to uh, bring people back into a level of sanity because the person that's, that's being ridiculed or that's doing the ridiculing today will be ridiculed tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? Because this kind of runaway uh, uh, vengeance never it never gets appeased. Amen. That's why God takes vengeance off the table. He said that belongs to me. That's not your job to get revenge on anybody anymore. And so when when we understand that God wants to uh have a a people who can live harmoniously with one another under god under his law then we'll be able to understand our need to pray and and have a desire to pray for this persecution to stop and not just sit and watch it and make comments about it and you know talk about it to death and all of this we can stop it with god's word we can stop it with God's word and so that's what we want to do so that's why I felt to to uh, go into a little more detail and give you more of an understanding of what's going on against believers around the world number one to give you a heart for persecuted people because very often you can stiffen your heart to certain things where you just say well you know that's what they do over there and you think it won't come near your dwelling well you can say that all you want to but it's already knocking on the door you see and this is happening very quickly because it's happening through our court system and and legislation and government in our nation and when government gets involved in something it, it can either go very very 
well or go very, very bad. And so we're seeing the very, very bad because everything is one-sided against the believer. Where the Christian that built this nation on his Bible and his God and his morals is now the enemy. And unbelievers and sinful people want to take this country away from believers. You got me? And so we can all live here happily ever after. We've all lived with sinners. We were sinners once. We understand that whole ball of wax. But we need to have the freedom still in this nation to preach the gospel. We still have freedom of speech. Uh, It's not hate speech. It's love speech. And I think what we need to do is start declaring that, you know, our speech is love speech, it's not hate speech, it's not compromise with sin, it's not love the sinner, hate the sin, we love everybody, we love sinner and saint alike, and we have no preference between the two, but we understand that God has standards, he's called us to preach his standards, and we're going to continue to preach his standards until Jesus comes, amen, we're going to do it without being hindered and without fear. So in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, it says here in verse 10, You have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. So that's our key that's our hope that's our guide that the lord would deliver those who are being persecuted out of every single persecution yes and all that will live godly in christ jesus will suffer persecution so all you have to do is decide and begin to live godly in christ jesus and you will suffer persecution some of it's subtle Some of it's overt. Uh, Sometimes you're persecuted by your own. You know, there are Christians that will persecute you uh, because, you know, your faith passes judgment on people's unbelief. So we have people all around us all the time that are believing different things. Some people believe in in the full gospel. Some people believe in a partial gospel. Well, when you start uh, talking about being healed and and give a testimony on healing the people who don't believe in healing and believe it that time is over will come under conviction because your your words just pass judgment on them you got me and this happens all the time and there's nothing you can do to stop it this is how god's ordained it to be he's ordained that unbelief would be judged by faith When you weren't a believer, you came under conviction, didn't you? When somebody preached the gospel to you in faith, you came under conviction. So your unbelief was judged by their faith. This is how the world operates. This is how the spirit world operates. That faith always passes judgment on unbelief. Amen. The Bible says that Noah passed judgment on the whole world by faith. It says he condemned the world. Same thing. We pass judgment, but not to condemnation. They have an opportunity to repent and be saved, just as they did in Noah's day. But he held on to his faith, and those people held on to their unbelief. And guess what happened? Faith won out. Amen. Faith always wins out. 
And so God is looking for people who will hold on in faith and not give up. That's why he's called us to pray these things. So that he can have somebody down here that he can look down and see they're holding out. They're still believing that I'm going to come and rescue them out of persecution. They're still believing the gospel. They haven't quit preaching the gospel. They haven't quit standing for me. They haven't quit. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for that kind of faith that endures, that endures persecution, that endures affliction, just like Paul did. He said the Lord delivered him out of them all. And he says, yes, and all that will live godly in Christ. So he says, I'm not anybody special. He said, the same thing will happen to you if you decide to live godly in Christ Jesus. You'll suffer persecution. Now, what does that mean? It just means being obedient to God. Keeping short accounts with God. Don't, work, don't go around, you know, the coffee room gossiping with everybody. Live godly. You understand what I'm saying? Be the person that gets up and walks away when the conversation starts to condemn somebody and starts to point the finger at somebody. You be that person and you'll suffer persecution because they won't trust you. Huh? Then they'll start to try and figure out ways to get rid of you. Amen. So that's what persecution is, folks. That you take a stand for God because you know that stand is right. You continue to stand. And you let the 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 uh, sinner and the one who wants to hold on to their carnality, you let them suffer what they need to suffer. Usually people are convicted. They know that they're wrong. They know that, that you are holding up a standard and they somehow want to tear that standard down or they want to bring you off of your position because they can't stand it. This is something that's stronger than you are as a human being. You can't turn it on and you can't turn it off. All you're doing is obeying God and trying to live for him, trying to do what's right as far as God is concerned. And so when when you take that real simple approach that all I'm doing is doing what God expects me to do. I'm not being extraordinary and I'm not being special. I'm just doing what God expects me to do. There's such power in that. In the realm of the spirit. There's extreme power in that attitude. In the realm of the spirit. And it will draw fire from the enemy. Because he hates people. He hates God. He hates people that love God. And he hates that witness. Because he knows that witness is powerful. And it's able to draw people out of his kingdom. Over into the kingdom of God. And so that's the real threat folks. That somebody else will see your good works. And glorify your father who is in heaven. And so this is what we want to do. Amen. As believers. We want to glorify God. We want God to stand out as the one that can help people as the one who is the answer the one who can do miracles and will do miracles the one who heals and delivers and he says but evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse amen so it's going to get worse folks sinners aren't going to be nice they're not going to get to be nice sinners Hmm? they're always going to be wicked people Now, they may treat you nice, but the Bible calls them seducers. So be suspicious when Christians all, I mean, when when the sinners all of a sudden want to be nice to you. Amen. And just hold your ground in God and, and tell the Lord, you know what, God, these people are being nice to me all of a sudden. What do you want me to do? 
You got me? This is a signal to me. So you need to show me my next move and I'll do it. Amen. And he says they they are deceived and continue being deceived. But you continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and so forth and so. And he goes on to talk about Timothy's upbringing. He says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Amen. It's profitable. All scripture is. For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So that's what we're doing. We're learning righteousness. We're being instructed in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So God doesn't want you to come short of anything. He wants you to be empowered. He wants you to to be able to complete whatever mission he puts before you. Uh, Nothing's too hard for you to do. Uh, God is not asking you to do something that's, that's above your pay grade. You know, so to speak, you can do it. You can handle it. And because you've been taught, and you've been instructed in the things of God in righteousness. And so he wants us to be thoroughly furnished in all so that we can be uh, responsible in all good works. So I found a couple of testimonies I wanted to share with you uh, from this book, Between Two Tigers. I'll probably get a couple of uh, copies. I know, you know, you probably have enough to read you read those of you who are faithful to read your word reading your word and other things don't ever get too busy or deceive yourself into thinking you don't have time to read your bible every day you know if you got a cell phone you can read some scriptures uh you know god's made it so easy you see sinners stay plugged into their earphones they're programming their minds to accept certain things this is why we got laws changed all of a sudden where people just passively let them pass to legalize gay marriage and all this kind of stuff. And, and because those people have been programmed to think the way they're thinking. And see, believers think we're too busy to even listen to scripture, you know, with your headphones. And you look at the, the young people in the world, they're always plugged into something. What do you think they're listening to? Most of them ain't listening to the word. And see, we're so busy doing this, that, and the other. We don't have time to say, ah, I wish I had time to read my Bible. You know, you can wish you did. You know, <laughs> you find yourself on the short end of persecution and wish you had some more word inside of you. And so God's given us all the tools and opportunity that we need to beef ourselves up and, and keep ourselves pumped up for the coming fight. And so he wants us to always uh, abound in our labor in the Lord. You know, always have more that you can do for God. Always look for more to do for God. Quit wringing your hands and talking about how busy you are. You're not busy. You're just fooling yourself. huh? You're busy doing nothing. And letting your head get filled with nonsense, amen, that the world puts out. Many times we don't know enough of the things of God to even hold a decent spiritual conversation with people. You know, that's why we don't. Amen. The people who are full of the word have much to say. When, when, when they're given an opportunity and an open door by God, they, God fills their mouths with words because their heart's filled with the word of God. 
You know, they don't have to mealy mouth and they don't have to hem and haw. And, and they're always ready to give a defense of the gospel. They're always ready to tell the truth to people. So, so we need to be that way, folks. We need to be that p- person. The more effective you are for God, the more effective he will be for you. You know, what you sow, you reap. If, you, if you're sowing in righteousness, you'll reap in mercy. God will have mercy on you in your time of need and in, in your time of, of crisis, uh, your time of, of being persecuted. He will have mercy on you. So don't always look for believers at your job so you can just chum around with them without any fear. Ask God to put you in the face of the worst, most despicable, desperado sinner that there is. So that you can get somebody converted. You know, we believers kind of tend to want to pal around with each other too much. But even in that, God will let somebody prick you real good. There will be somebody say they're a Christian and you'll talk to them and find out they don't even know the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? You've been trying to be their friend. So just allow, amen, allow God to be God and have a desire in your heart to see people converted and come out of the fires of hell. Get a good picture in your mind of you helping somebody come out of darkness and into the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so your words will be effective. You know, we want to influence people, but sometimes we put too much effort in the wrong place. You know, we'll get around Christians and then we want to start bossing them around. And you understand what I'm saying? You could use that energy. You could use that energy to win the lost instead of, you know, it's like people in church want to prophesy to everybody. Well, go out in the street where they need to hear the word of the Lord, you know. That's what that's for. You know, the people in the church already have a pastor. They already have a source. Amen. They're already under authority. So your job as a believer is to go into all the world and preach to every person until everybody's heard we all have a lot of work to do so let's make our not let our our salvation be in vain let it count for something and just ask god to direct you to somebody that really really needs to know him that would be a breath of fresh air it'll be a glass of cold water to them if we use our words in the right place with the right persons we have to know these things this is something that's mandated in the word God's never told you in the word to gather people in the church together and just try to boss them around, tell them what to do and try to organize them again. You know, that's that's for the scared people, you know, people scared of their own shadow. I was I was mentioning to Pastor Shirley, uh, you know, somebody, uh, you know, people always want to think they're called to the ministry. And I I tell people all the time, I said, you're not the first single woman to think that you're supposed to be a preacher now. You know, just keep praying for the last thing you believe God for. Just because you think it's not going to come to pass, don't think you can jump over now and be a fivefold minister. You don't want to do that. See, that's all I would run into. As a woman, you run into that your whole life as a minister. You see women who have failed at three marriages. Their kids won't speak to them. The families disown them. Now they want to be a minister all of a sudden. Well, you got no fruit to prove that you know what to do with God's sheep if they came into your presence. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let's get real here, people. Let's quit being stupid, all right? And dig deeper in what you got. 
that God's blessing will go deeper there. Max out on that. Until every empty seat in here is filled, we don't need one more person in a pulpit here. You understand what I'm saying? Let's just be real. Start filling up the empty seats. Ask God to give you influence with somebody that you can convince them that they are called to to be a believer. They are called to be saved and you can win them over to Christ and fill up empty seats. Amen. Because if we get one more fictitious person in a pulpit, we'll start emptying the churches out more. Because that's what they're running from. They're running from false ministry left and right. You understand me? I talk to people sometimes and they love God. And I say, well, find you a good church. Job. I don't know about that church thing. I said, what, what is wrong with church? They say, I see all them people on TV and they talk all crazy and they talk, they don't talk about what I need. You got me? So you fill in that void. You talk to them about what they need. If they need healing, talk to them about that. If they need to quit sinning, you talk to them about that. You talk to them about Jesus will empower them to walk away from the things that are binding them in their life. Talk to them to bring them in freedom to where they live. But we don't need more fictitious ministry, folks. Come on now. you got to think of something else you want to do besides jump in a robe and get in a pulpit somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? You can't make this up. Have respect for the offices of God. Have more respect than that. There should be a fear that come upon you of inadequacy instead of thinking you can just tromp into something and you're, you're, you're capable already. You know, holiness, when you think about reverence and holiness, it'll do that to you. When God called me to preach, I was deathly afraid. I didn't know anything, know anything. I kept saying, God, what do I do? Who do I, who's going to teach me? What do I, what do I, what do I? Huh? Longevity does not equal a calling. It just doesn't. I know they do that in some churches. You know, the last guy that was was next to the pastor takes his place when he dies or something but we don't you don't do that in the real church of god they're just trying to keep the doors open you're trying to to accomplish the gospel you're trying to obey god so we don't want to encourage people in the wrong way you i've never encouraged you to step out and do something god has not called you to do and I don't prophesy and keep calling people and keep calling them. I, you know, if God gives me something for you, I give it to you. But I'm not trying to call you into anything. You know, God has to do that. So, and I'm not trying to keep you from doing anything. You know, people would leave this ministry out. They don't let you do it. Absolutely, we ain't going to let you. God has to let you do something. His sheep are not guinea pigs. Do, you, do they look like, these people look like guinea pigs to you? You don't try out your skills on people. It never fails. The people who look weak and confused always get somebody improperly laying hands on them. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes people just have that look. You know what I'm saying? It's not that they are that, but you can have a look that says to somebody, oh, this one's easy. I can go and. And they do it every time. It's, it's a wrong spirit. It's a religious spirit. And it's a spirit of pride where they want to show to everybody they've got something. Man, you don't got nothing. 
you got you got a one-way pass to go sit down somewhere until you learn some manners until you learn some sense just go aggressively putting your hands on people that's called assault huh I don't get it. Uh, you know, I've been around enough years and I still don't understand it. How uh, people get goofy ideas like that in their brain. You know, you're just afraid to go to the next level of where God's got you right now in your life. That's the problem. See, fear will cause you to start to invent things. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're afraid, you're afraid that you're going to be a failure. So you've got to look for something new to get involved in. To fail at. Hmm? And don't be jealous of people that have something. Because they got their own set of problems. You got yours. Honey, we're all, it's a level playing field out here. It's a level playing field. We all got our issues. We all got stuff to deal with. Uh, we all got problems every day. So you're not trading in your level of problems for something better. You're just going to have more problems that you're not equipped to deal with. Got me? But we all got stuff to deal with. Single people want to be married. Married people want to be single again. Trust me. I've been both. <laughs> Everybody's grass is greener all the time. So you just get in a groove where you understand where God's got you headed and stay on that road. And be happy. Learn how to be content. Don't let anybody stir you up to be discontented. Yeah, you understand me? Don't get into somebody's teaching and find start finding fault with yourself. That's not what teaching is for. Teaching is to build you up and to encourage you and to instruct you. It's not to make you dissatisfied with yourself. You know, people don't have enough sense to understand these things. They'll sit up and buy a bunch of tapes on success and then be mad at themselves the whole time because they're not successful. Who told you you weren't successful? Did God tell you that or you just picked that up out of nowhere and decided to make yourself twice as miserable by listening to teaching to reinforce it? You're saved, you're successful. If you pay, can you pay your bills on top of being saved? You're really successful. Hmm? Are you healthy on top of being saved and can pay your, you're really successful. So you're triple successful. So don't sit up and let the devil play with your head like that. Let's just cut it out and be normal because we're coming into something now. If you lose your place, you don't want to lose your place. That's why I keep hammering at people. Start praying. If you haven't been praying and you know you haven't been praying, start praying. Because you don't want to be sitting on the side of the road dazed and confused because everybody else has trampled you over going into the glory of God and working miracles in Jesus' name. And that's where you'll be if you don't know how to learn how to stay with the herd and stay with the pack. And know your spot. 
Amen. Just know your spot. Know your spot. Know your spot. And so in, in knowing your spot, we have to continue to pray, folks. If there has never been a crucial time for prayer, it is now. So if you've been playing with your prayer life, you need to get serious about it. You can't play with it anymore. You know, looking for reasons to cut church and not be under the things of God. When revival starts, people are drawn to church. They don't want to do anything else but that. You understand what I'm saying? And so you're going to have to acclimate yourself to staying in the realm of the spirit and not jumping in and out, jumping in and out, jumping in and out. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to acclimate yourself to staying with the things of the spirit because you don't know how long the daylight will last and you can work for God. You've got to work while it's day. You can't just jump in and out of things and expect it to be there when you get back. You've got to stay with the flow. Amen. You've got to stay under the cloud. Amen. You've got to stay under the cloud. So God wants us to stay in that place where he can use us. And he wants to use us, especially in prayer and to pray for the liberation of Christians worldwide. Because the gospel is not bound. The gospel is always free. And for vessels who will preach the gospel, they can freely preach the gospel. And God will bless them. When you preach the gospel, you're sowing seeds of righteousness. You're entitled to reap fruits of righteousness. And so your righteousness increases because people in the early church think where Peter would be if that church had not prayed for him. If they had all been too busy, had something else to do. Well, I got to go to work and I can't miss work. And, you know, y'all pray, pray my strength in the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? You pray your own strength in the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Because there were many Christians that didn't cooperate with the gospel back then. You understand what I'm saying? And so the, the ones that did were able to be like Paul. He said he finished the course, amen, and he kept the faith throughout his walk, even though he was persecuted like no other apostle was. You know, he wasn't an apostle that demanded a ticket on a, a, a private jet. He was the kind that got on a boat that almost wrecked, and he didn't eat for two weeks, fasting and praying. But they all came through. That's what's important. So I'm going to read you this story about a healing that took place, and in, in, uh, this is one of the persecuted believers in Vietnam. Uh, She says, in 1986, I got an infection on my face, but because of the love of God, I did not die. It was just like Psalm 118.18. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over unto death. The sickness lasted for six months. During the first three months, I could still work in the fields, but I had a headache and a runny nose. In the fourth month, the doctor gave me medicine to drink and said that I would need an operation. In the fifth month, I could no longer work. The growth broke out terribly and spread into my eyes and ears. There was no more pain, but my whole face was just numb. I could only drink grape juice or orange juice. I could not breathe through my nose. My teeth had to be pulled out one right after the other because they were all rotten. 
I constantly fought off flies. The doctor said it would take many operations and that the infection would destroy my bones. He told me to go to the Saigon Hospital to have one eye removed. The surgeons would open up my face and try to cure it. However, in in Than Rang, there were three pastors. There are three pastors. One pastor agreed to move me, but the other said there was no need to. Since my family did not have any money, the pastors hesitated and finally decided not to take me to Saigon. Sadly, they all left me at home to wait for my death. Finally, the doctors told me there was no more hope. They said 90% of these cases die, so there was no need to go to Saigon for treatment. They said if I fell off, if I fell with this swollen face, it would be crushed like a watermelon. The doctor had told me that by the end of March, I would go crazy and die. I praise the Lord that we had no money. If we had, they would have taken me to Saigon and the doctors would have taken out an eye. Instead, the Lord used a Christian from Saigon who had been cured of an infection. She returned to Than Rang to give a testimony. We invited this Christian into our home church to give her testimony. They brought me to the meeting in a chair. I smelled so terrible that the people tried to sit far away from me. The pastor's wife and the lady who gave her testimony lovingly sat beside me. The Lord used the words in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 103. My family grabbed onto that promise of the Lord, believing that he would save me. When she said, by his stripes we are healed, I felt some power lift my head up and a beam of light came down on me. I rose up. The pastor's wife and the other Christians thought that now I had gone crazy. I fell down unconscious, so the family took me home. The following week, I just lay there. I could drink no more juice and take no more medicine on my face. But the infection began to fall away. I became became conscious again, and I started to repent of all my sins in detail. You see why some people, the, the greasy grace people are preaching, you don't have to confess your sins anymore? You, you see why they do that? They want to rob you of the truth of God's power to reverse anything wrong in your life. Because righteousness, there's no law against righteousness. And if the devil can keep us out of righteousness, then he can keep us bound, broke, poor, confused. You got me? Keep your heart pure. You know, don't let grudges grab you. Don't let junk that's not even worth it. It's called the vanity of being right all the time. We want to be so right we're wrong. The reason people don't confess and repent is they've got too much pride. And they're, they're believers and too prideful to humble themselves and say, you know what, I made a mistake. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. How hard is that? It's very hard for some people. 
She said she began to, she repented of all her sins in detail. That lady, remember the lady that we heard her testimony, Roberts let her give her testimony in Lansing? She said the same thing. Remember they pronounced her dead at the hospital? She had cancer all over her body, many, many tumors. And she said that God told her, that God sent her to a woman who was an intercessor somewhere in Michigan that lady lived. And she lived on a farm. And this woman said that she told me that God, God told her that I was coming and that he had told her exactly what to do for me. And she said that woman prayed night and day. And fasted. She said when that woman fasted, her cows fasted, the pigs fasted. Yeah, she said you could hear them. The the animals were crying for food and they were all fasting. And she said after several days, God broke through and brought face after face before her of people she was angry with. She was hating the church because they wouldn't let her be a minister. Same devil again. Man doesn't let you be anything. You understand me? Now this lady was really called. She was just going about it the wrong way. She's trying to get man to sanction her and send her off somewhere. When all she had to do is open her mouth and God fill it with words. And that's your ministry. Can you give your testimony? You can save a soul. She was in her either mid-50s or 60s before she even repented and got healed. And God healed her completely, took every tumor out of her body. But she said that when she had, uh, she, she left her body in the hospital, and when she woke up, she could tell by the looks, the startled looks on the nurses' faces because they were prepping her to go down to the morgue. So she was really dead. And, you know, I've done that before. I've worked in hospitals where you pull a sheet over them, might be a couple of hours before, you know, somebody comes in there and starts washing them up to take them down. And while they're doing that, she sits up and she says she could tell how scared they were that she had left her body and been dead for a while. But after that, God sent her. She said, God has sent me all around the world preaching the gospel, giving my testimony. She said she's won more people to Christ that way than she ever could have. Waiting on man to give her some credentials so she could go somewhere. So she said she began to repent of all her sins in detail. She said, God began to heal me and forgave all my wickedness. One day, amen, one day the family and Christians in the Fanrang church fasted and prayed for me. From 6 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the evening. They brought me back to an official Tinland church. Although the Lord had begun to heal me, it looked like this was to be the last day of my life. My husband said, if the Lord does not heal her, there's no more hope. The people continued to physically lift me up each time I would lie down. Five times in that afternoon. At 5 o'clock, I started to look look up a little bit i saw a cross with a light coming straight upon me i felt very hot under my feet the heat moved up in my body and the higher it moved the more i could kneel with my back straight finally the beam went straight to my face and i heard something like boiling water inside my face i hiccuped and said hallelujah 
according to Psalm 103, 1 through 4, God delivered me and healed my sickness. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities. You see, that comes first. Who heals all your diseases. Then who redeems your life from destruction. So he pulls you out of the power of destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. My face was completely clean. I could breathe through my nose again. I could kneel straight. No one needed to hold me. I stood up, ran and jumped all around the church. The infection had fallen on the floor. My face was full of light. The pastor in that church, Pastor Tam, preached about the power of God, but he had never actually seen God's power. The pastor said, Mrs. Truong, you didn't wash your face yet. When, the Lord, when he saw the Lord heal me, he also prayed and experienced the Lord's healing of a constant headache. He began to pray for other sicknesses. Many people who were sick also received healing from the Lord. In this big city, there are only three churches, and two have been closed by the government. 200,000 people live there, with only one official Protestant church open. Pastor Tam's is just a small one. At Christmas time, they can gather a 1,000 members. Before I was healed, I never stood before the church and spoke. I only followed my husband and became a Christian. I didn't understand or change. But in the morning, I stood before Pastor Tam's church and gave my testimony. In this area of Vietnam, there is one tribe, the Cham people. The city of Phan Rang had three churches, but the authorities had closed down two. The only remaining church is Pastor Hughes. In the afternoon, I went to Pastor Hughes' church and gave my testimony. Many people came and received healing, and many visitors accepted Christ. A message to hurting people. I continued to go to five churches in Saigon and, and Dalat to share my testimony. Pastor Tu asked me to pray for another woman who was diagnosed with five sicknesses. She was also healed and is now serving the Lord. The day I came back, Pastor Tam had been arrested and held for 20 days. The authorities confiscated the church building. My home church at Tapcham is in the suburb five kilometers away. Now, you see the, uh, the government just comes and takes their church away. They're going to start doing it in this country, too, if we don't pray. See, they're just inches away from that. Because if they can sue somebody for refusing to sign a license, they can uh, sue a church for refusing to execute it. You understand what I'm saying? And so it would be nothing for our government to take all these churches and have them dilapidated, empty buildings just for spite. So the police also had closed my church and they arrested me. The police thought that sharing my testimony was a plot of the Americans. Since I was very poor, they thought I would tell lies about the power of God like this to cause trouble. So they put me in prison. Because this was the first time I was arrested, I did not know what an arrest was. The doctor said that if I was isolated in this place with dirty air and not enough meat and fish, my sickness might come back again. 
the police would not allow my family to send any food from home in case they put some medicine in it so I could be healed. Then my family would lie and say that the Lord healed me. A prostitute in stocks. The police treated me very badly for one month and five days. Because I preached the gospel, I was put in isolation. My room was one meter wide by one and a half meters long. So a meter is like three feet, 39 inches. So that ain't big at all. There was no light. I stood and sat, but there was not enough room to lie down. Mostly I prayed and did not sleep. There was no chair, so I had to sit on the dirty floor. I was very hungry with only a little ball of rice and salt. I prayed to the Lord and saw the Lord stand by me and strengthen me. I poured water into the rice to soften it and ate a little bit. I just swallowed it. But I also did not want to eat at times. I wanted to fast and pray. In my cell was a small hole for air. In front of the door there was a small square window where they would hand the food and water. They just pushed it in and left right away. They poured a cup of water into a plastic bag inside. We had to be prepared to take it. If we were not ready, they would pour the water in in on the floor and there would be no more for that entire day. Ten days later, they brought a prostitute into my cell. The police put her there for a week to threaten me. She came from a bigger prison and was about 28 years old. The prostitute had a wooden stock between her legs. It was a board with about six big holes in it, and the prostitute's feet were placed in two the two widest holes, so there were four holes in between her feet. These two big wooden pieces were locked together. When the prostitute sat on the floor, her legs were spread with her feet in this board on a one-meter floor. She had violated the law in another cell, so they imprisoned her with the board to discipline her. I stood in one corner to give her some more space. If the girl laid down, I sat up. I could not lie down because the board took up all the space in our small cell. When I felt tired, I sat on the board. Then I would stand up. I ended ended up standing all day and all night. I shared the gospel with this girl, but she was fearful. If the guards listen outside and hear you preaching the gospel, they will separate us, she said. I talked to her about Jesus anyway. I told her, look at your sad life. Look at your situation. The Lord can heal your life. She looked up and said, you are older than me, but you are so bold to preach and be charged with a crime that is not a crime. She received Jesus. As I prayed for her, she was crying. When she left that place, she asked God for strength to no longer be a prostitute. The police would wake me up at one or two o'clock in the morning for more questioning. Three policemen worked with me. They asked, who sent you out? Who taught you how to go out and talk in different places like this? Who pays you to do this? Although my cell was very dirty and dark, I confessed that since the Lord healed me, the sickness would not return. I felt very strong. One morning at one o'clock, the guards called me out to the workroom where they threatened the prisoners. They have handcuffs, pistols, rifles, and a thick hose. They have the eight whole stock and different things in this room. There were about seven policemen. They sat at a table while I stood. Generally, the guards were North Vietnamese. The policeman who interrogated me every day is an officer in charge of religious matters from the province that sent him there. 
I remember the names of two other men, Mr. Key and Mr. Tan, who are policemen from Thuan Hai province. Only the prison policemen wore uniforms. The city policemen wore civilian clothes when they worked with me, so I didn't know what rank they were. I preached the gospel a lot to them. They had many papers they had to stamp while they questioned me. The police gave me a big sheet of paper with typing on it and blanks to fill in information. They told me that if I said I was still sick, they would release me right away. But if I said I was well, they would sentence me to three more years in prison. I said to them, I know for sure the Lord has healed me already. So they said, pointing at the stocks, if you say you are no longer sick, you will be put in there, six holes between your feet for a month. I replied to the police, I will not sign that because I am not sick. God healed me. If I am still sick, I agree to be put in the stocks with eight holes, not six. The doctor's conscience. They tried another method. After a month and five days, the police took me to the hospital to reexamine me. The night before they took me to the doctor, they gave me the paper to sign. If the doctor finds you well, you, be, you will be released. But if you are still sick, you will go into one of the three prisons. So they, they thought that I had lied, that I was still sick. They wanted me to deny that God had healed me. The police continued to threaten me and to pressure me to convince that I was sick before they brought me to the examination. I signed the assurance that if the doctor says you are sick, I was willing to go to one of these prisons. I knew for sure that the Lord had healed me and there was no more sickness. That morning, they took me to the doctor in a covered truck. The police all sat in front and I was in a cage in the very back. There was a cover on the outside so the public would not see anyone. When we arrived at the hospital, the two soldiers in uniform pushed me into the doctor's examination room right away. The police took me to the same doctor who had treated me before. The doctor was in charge of checking the prisoners. He was a Catholic, but he was also under the pressure of the police. When the doctor realized who I was, he was surprised, thinking I had died three months ago. I shared with him a saying we use in Vietnam. Quote, a good doctor is like a good mother. When you check me, tell the truth about me, then my God will bless you. If you do not tell the truth about me, then you will have to receive the results God will give you. One of the policemen slapped his hand on the table and shouted, quiet, no more talking. Then he pushed me down in a chair. I had not eaten for two days or slept for two nights. I was not thinking about my family, only about communing with the Lord. I said to the Lord, strengthen me so I can be strong. Lord, I'm very hungry, so strengthen me so I can breathe strongly. The Lord gave me special strength. I can still remember it just like it was yesterday. The policeman closely watched the doctor as he examined my nose, eyes, ears, and mouth. He asked me to breathe. He was looking with a small flashlight but saw no evidence of my infection. I was completely healed. The doctor said, truly, your God saved you. The police heard it. <clears throat> I replied, yes, my God saved me. He healed me already. The doctor turned to the policeman and changed the words a little bit, using the pagan term for God so the policeman would understand. He did this by calling God Troy, meaning God, just like the highest being, just like Allah that the Muslims do. The doctor said to the police, the highest being has saved her. 
The two policemen pushed me outside, then spoke with the doctor at his desk. Through the window, on the, on the door to the examining room, I saw them talking. They asked him to give them a paper that confessed I was still sick. You see how the devil hates healing. You see, they're, they're, they're struggling with this woman this hard over the fact that God has touched. Be covetous of the healing power of God. Greatly desire that. You got me? Because that wreaks havoc, havoc in the devil's kingdom. I mean, he hates that more than he hates anything. They asked him to give them a paper that confessed I was still sick. He continued to shake his head no. Finally, the doctor stood up and the police were very angry. They just grabbed the paper and walked out. The doctor also walked out. As he passed me, he said, my conscience would not allow me. When the police brought me back to prison, they did not keep their promise to release me if I was well. They could not accept the fact that the Lord really healed me. They called me from my cell and held the doctor's paper up far away from me. See, the doctor said you are still sick. You work for the Americans. You are not healed. Then I responded, hold that paper up to me closer. They would not give it to me. Later, they took me to a bigger prison. Forty prisoners were inside my cell. I felt more at ease because of the bigger space. The women went to work during the day and came back at night. To sleep, many of us would have to lie on our side on the floor to have enough space. The women asked what serious political crime I had committed to be put there. I told them that I had only preached the gospel. In Vietnam, when we get sick, we often rub some oil on our skin, then use a spoon to move the skin to clear out the pores. I did this to help many of the prisoners feel better. When the policemen got sick, I helped them too. The people, <laughs> the people in the isolated cells were also sick. When they tried to bring these people to the hospital, they were afraid and often tried to hide or rebel. Many times they brought these sick people to my room to help them. So my cell became a healing place. I prayed for them and shared the gospel with them. Many received Jesus in my cell. The authorities call me the 180-degree troublemaker, which is the worst kind. The police continued to question me. Who sent you? What organization sent you? I would reply each time, the Lord Jesus. If you dare, you arrest the Lord Jesus. They wanted to transfer me to other prisons that they had mentioned before. The prisoners I was with at the time had committed different social crimes, murdering, stealing, prostitution, and were waiting to be transferred to other prisons. They sent the prostitutes to Song Mao. Op robbers and murderers were sent to Song Li, and others were sent to Song Kai. The police finally decided to send me to Song Mao. But they first took my fingerprints and my picture. My prison number was 1013. I waited for transfer. In my cell, many new Christians were also waiting. I tried to encourage them. I took out a hairpin and scratched a cross on the wall. This was the first Sunday of the month. Usually in church, we have communion. We didn't have bread, only a little bit of water. 
As we knelt on the floor, I shared with these prisoners, now my sisters, about communion and drank water with them. On the third day, released. I stayed up all night to pray to the Lord. I said, may your will be done. If you want me to go out tomorrow, release me from this camp. Do a miracle. If you want me to be in prison for three more years, I think I would be weak and not have enough of the word to be strengthened after this time. But if you release me tonight, I will give my whole life to preach the gospel, everything. I asked the Lord to give me a sign that in three more days an officer would come to work with me and that two days after that I would be released. The Lord gave me the sign exactly like that. After three days, the people from Vien Kim Zot, the institute that handles court matters, came to the city and looked up my case. This was a strange thing since the institute never looks up a case again once it is finished. I would just go to another prison. This officer carried a numbered file under his arm. He went straight to the chief guard, a policeman I had treated for illness and with whom I had shared the gospel. The two of them came into our transfer cell. When they opened the door, everybody stood up straight. The officer called my name. Lady Truong, come out. You are the one who created trouble. Are you the one? You are the one who created trouble by doing superstitious things, right? Then the chief of the prison answered for me and said, no, she is the one who is making people push away the pagan altars and practices. She is a Christian. Then the officer asked, what is your crime? I said, I have no crime. The officer responded, tell me, what did you do? I am a sinner. I was sick, but the Lord healed me. He used his blood to cleanse all of my sickness and all of my sin. Because of that, I share about my healing, about how the Lord saved and healed me. That is why I believe in Jesus. He told me to go back and sit down. They locked the door again. Exactly two days later, according to the sign that I asked from the Lord, the chief of the police station called me. This time he was very polite. He asked me to sit down using a term like auntie because of my age. He said, yes, truly, your God healed you. But now, if you will assure me that you will no longer speak about this God who heals, then, Auntie, I will let you go. I replied, no, I will not. If, if the Lord tells me to go, I will go. If he tells me to sit, I will sit. The police in the room then asked me to write a guarantee that I would not preach the gospel. I told them that I would not sign. Finally, they sent me an order of release, which said my crime was propaganda and superstition. Seeing the paper on the desk, I pushed aside the three guards and took the pen off the desk. I just crossed over it and wrote, the power of God healing. The officer laughed and said, now you're going home, but you still fight. But I did not leave yet. I walked from one place to another in the prison to share about God's healing. There was a room for officers. I stayed there so I could speak to the policeman. I went to each one and said, they have just given me this clear release sentence, no charges, because God healed me and I have committed no crime. So even though you have the rank of authority, when you retire, you will throw this all away. You also have to meet Jesus in order to go to heaven. If you want to go to heaven, you must have Jesus as your savior. Jesus is the God who heals and the savior of the whole world. Serve him. They listened to me because they had a special affection for me.
I went back home and shared with Catholics and Buddhists. The Buddhists sent more reports to the police that I continue preaching the gospel. So the police office in that village called me again to write self-examination report. That night I prayed instead of writing a self-examination. The next morning in the office I wrote out an account of how the Lord healed me in my life. They threatened me. We will take you to re-education camp. See, this sounds weird, but people in this country are being brainwashed and re-educated. Look at what they're doing in our schools from kindergarten up to college. They're telling, they're indoctrinating young children, men and women, in what to think, what's wrong and what's not right to think. I sat there with my raincoat and a small Bible. I was prepared to go to prison again. Then the local police took me to five policemen. One read my account and passed it to the next one to read until all five had read my testimony. One said, oh, this is what you do. This is good. You tell the people to do good, but you must do it in a way that people will not sue you or report you. You make them forsake their ancestor worship, forsake their religion, so they report you. Then they released me. I kept up my ministry anyway. My eight children and two grandchildren also know of my witness. One time the policeman brought some sugar and tea to my house and visited with my husband. They instructed him to tell me not to go out preaching the gospel. My husband said, because God has healed her, she is so joyful. If you have threatened her to stop, if you have threatened her to stop, how can I stop her? Amen. Praise God. Amen. So that's the trouble. A healing testimony will get you in in a place where the government has control over your words. And we don't want that any further in our country. It's gone far enough. And we have the right to stop it in the name of Jesus. And we will stop it in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to pray for the persecuted church because if we don't pray... Folks, who will? You don't want this. Amen. I just have a few copies of Protection Against Persecution. You don't want this responsibility to pass on to somebody else, you know. Of course, you got one? Okay. Of course, we know if we don't obey God, he will raise up somebody who will obey him. But you don't want to pass up the opportunity. You want to be the first ones in. Maybe you can share a prayer over here. You want to be some of the first ones in when it's time to pray. I just have one more. Give it to you, Becky. You want to be the first fish in the water. You don't want to be swimming upstream. You don't want to be going against the grain. You know, you don't want to be isolated and trying to work against what God has mandated. And because we're called to pray and we already have the tools to pray, we're going to pray even more. And even more, uh, amen, even more vehemently, I gave my one copy away. i got to get yours back, Ms. Wana. I'll take yours back from you. Praise God. You got one? Okay, good. Thank you. <clears throat> now, we have to understand that we have the tools in our hands. And if we don't use them, 
we have the greater condemnation. The Bible says to him who knows to do the right thing and does it not, to him it's sin. You got me? So we know the right thing to do. You're not going to sit on your your uh, um, your uh, responsibility to pray. You're going to pray. And you're going to do what God commands you to do. You know, sometimes we have prayer partners that, that don't want to pray and we're happy about it. You shouldn't be. You should... You shouldn't be. Or they don't call you and you're glad because you got off the hook this week. We're going to have to grow up, folks, and start to be responsible and continue to be responsible. You know, from time to time, it's hard on all of us to keep commitments, you know, but you keep them anyway because it's the right thing to do. So we all need to grow up. Amen. Grow up and show up. So that God can do what he needs to do with our prayers. So the ones of you who don't have the prayers before you just uh, pray in the spirit and the rest of us will pray in the understanding. And we're praying especially for persecuted believers, uh, especially as we've read in Vietnam and in the other 60 nations that are the most persecuted nations. We're praying for the nation of America, for this dictator mentality that we have in government to cease and to stop because we are a government of the people and by the people amen and for the people and so that has never changed and what the people desire needs to be respected and needs to be responded to in a positive way uh all of the i think there were 35 states that voted down same-sex marriage but now we're all being forced to accommodate to that and that is not constitutional they're breaking breaking our own laws and if they're breaking constitutional law now what are they going to do down the road how far down the road is it before you will be arrested for preaching what the government doesn't want you to say Already they're persecuting uh, military chaplains for preaching in Jesus' name. And this has never been before. And so the devil feels that he's got the upper hand because he's convinced uh, a minority of people that make a lot of noise and don't care how bad they look to people. They just want to want to have authority and power, false authority and power. And so we're, we're going to pull his teeth, dethrone him, take his, his voice away from him, silence the voice of the ungodly because they don't need a voice. Uh, when you're ungodly and you're not talking the right things, you don't need to speak. You just need to shut up, you know. You, there is no platform for ungodliness. There isn't one. And so we're going to pray. Father, we submit to God. Resist the devil and he must flee. We command the enemy to flee from us seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God, and I resist retaliation against my accusers. I am serving you. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold their threatening. Stretch forth your hand to heal, O God. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. I declare that the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let the ungodly fall by their own counsel. Lord, the Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to mine integrity that is in me. Let the mischief of all spiritual forces who persecute me return upon their own heads. Keep me as the apple of thy eye. 
Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Thank you for teaching my hands to war, set that the bow of steel is broken in my arms. Thank you that you have given me the necks of my enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lies against me. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against me without a cause and who hate me. Lord, we know that is nothing for you to help. Help me, O Lord, my God, or save me according to your mercy. Let my hands prosper and prevail against my enemies. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Now, did that take long? I'm, I'm amazed that people just refuse to pray consistently. You know, just if you get right to it, if you don't get on the phone and gossip and whine and carry on, you can get in the spirit and do your prayer. It won't take you two days to get it done. But the little bit of effort that we give God uh, counts so much as far as his work is concerned. Amen. So we're going to be consistent. You know, I know some of you wouldn't quit praying for anything, but I'm speaking to people who are still not convinced that there is a commandment to pray over everybody in this ministry. You're not too busy. Amen. The only thing you got going on is the rent and it's all it's going to always be going on. So you might as well pray. Amen. All you're going to have is bills and more bills. So just leave them right where they are and pray and ask God to come in and do something for you. <laughs> That's spectacular. Praise God. Why don't you, we put on some music and we'll have, um, let the Holy Spirit come in. And I'll pray for people that, that need prayer. But I'm going to pray in the Spirit a little bit and see what God wants to speak to us if he's done speaking to us. So praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 